Support for this podcast comes from TransPerfect, a family of companies providing language services and technology solutions for global businesses. Connect your brand to the world and visit transperfect.com. From TransPerfect and A to Z Productions, this is Next. And I'm Zelina Khan, your host. Hey everyone, we decided to switch things up this season. In the past, our episodes have been based around different industries and businesses, featuring some really intelligent subject matter experts. But this time around, we're gonna focus on people, specifically some of the amazing female leaders that we know, that we think should be shared with you all. I hope you enjoy. Betty Ng is the founder and CEO of Inspiring Diversity, which helps organizations build inclusive, collaborative, and high-performing culture in the workplace. Betty and I actually met at an event, a DNI event, and ever since then, you know, we hit it off and she's been great to talk to, to get advice from, and it's it's just been great. So we're really happy to have her on the show. Betty is an entrepreneur, a thought leader, a speaker and author of Polling Power that she actually wrote with her mother, Polling, who serves as the book's inspiration. And the goal of Polling Power is to help others propel themselves to success using a model created by Betty. In this episode, we discuss Betty's personal journey, her motivation to tackle the many, many great areas of diversity within the corporate world, and how each person can make a difference starting with themselves. Enjoy. Betty, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Zelina. I'm really excited to speak with you. I feel like this has been a very long time coming. It sure is. <laughs> we actually met last year at a DNI event where you were the you were one of the guest speakers, and we connected afterwards. And I think we've just been working together since then. So it's really nice to actually have you on the show because I've been talking about it for a while. Well, thanks for having me. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are? So I'm Betty Ng. I am the founder and CEO of Inspiring Diversity, which provides practical solutions for building inclusive, collaborative, and high-performing culture. I am also the co-founder of TIQ, which stands for the Think, Act, and Interact Quotient for Inclusive Behavior. So prior to founding Inspiring Diversity and TIQ, I spent over 20 years in corporate America. Frankly, I was that woman of color rising up the ranks for over 20 years to become a senior vice president at a large financial services company with my share of challenges as well as successes. And in 2016, decided that I would commit myself to providing those solutions that I felt should have always existed for organizations as well as for people of diverse backgrounds. And so a little bit about myself. Well, I grew up in a very poor single parent household and honestly, because others helped to lift me and take me up with them, I've really had some incredible opportunities throughout my lifetime, including having the opportunity to graduate from Stanford and Harvard, as well as the opportunity to send up the ranks at incredible companies such as Arthur Anderson, American Express, Citigroup, and Moody's. And ultimately, as my mother has taught me, I truly believe that Anything is possible, regardless of your background, as long as we help each other to succeed. 
you bring up your mom and what I love about what you do is that everything is tied to family. I believe polling power is also based off of your mom, correct? Yes, yes, yes. So I uh, developed the polling power framework uh, for propelling yourself and others to success based on my mom. And so in 2015, I was awarded as a corporate trailblazer for the impact that I was having in diversity and inclusion within my corporate job, and also for just my success rising up the ranks. And as I prepared my acceptance speech, I really thought long and hard about who I am and how I got to where I am. And all roads led back to my mom, whose name is Po Ling. And as I looked at her name, I just realized that every letter of her name represents an incredible principle for what it means to propel yourself and others to success. I think you, you mentioned you had people that helped take you to where you are today, right? So yes. can we discuss maybe, you know, the importance of building community and collectivism when propelling yourself to the next level? Yeah. You know, so what's interesting is that oftentimes people think of their personal success being completely independent of others' success. And unfortunately, sometimes people really see it as a zero-sum game, meaning if I win, you lose. Whereas actually, if I win, you can win too. And if you win, I win, right? So, you know, and in my lifetime, and based on what my mother role modeled for me, it's just become so apparent to me that when I focus on helping others to succeed, actually, I become much more successful myself. People don't know that there's a lot of room at the top. You know, everyone can make their own path, right? Yeah, and and also that we can increase the pie together. We shouldn't feel that everything's about scarcity. What we should instead have is an abundance mindset where if we work together and we help each other to succeed, in fact, we create more opportunities and more room at the top so that we can all ascend and achieve our visions for who we want to be. Increasing the pie, I think, is major key here. I think there are professionals that are well into their career that are still walking around with this scarcity mindset. And for those of you who don't know, scarcity mindset is basically the mentality where you kind of live in fear that you're going to lose time, lose money, resources versus an abundance mindset where you just believe and you know that there's always more of everything, whether it's money, relationships, resources, opportunities, and so on. So yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, and so yeah, just a little bit about the polling framework, at least the polling piece of it, right? And what my mom told, taught me and what polling stands for is P for purpose, persevering for your purpose, your passions, your vision for your authentic self. The O is for others, helping others to succeed. L is for leading, which is about being proactive and driving change and action. I is inspiring, which is about always being at your best and exuding that confidence and conviction for what you believe in and inspiring others to follow you to make things happen. N is for network, which is about establishing, building, and leveraging relationships. And G is for grow, which is about really embracing adversity, diversity, change, and failure, and pushing yourself to be better. 
And so when you think about the polling principles here, a lot of it is focused around how your, you can achieve your purpose in alignment with helping others and lift how we can all lift each other up. And it is about getting out of that scarcity mindset, but rather instead about focusing on how we can all work together and be better. This matrix is, is based on your mom, right? And you said when you were thinking about your success and you know, you, you attribute a lot of that to her. Can you elaborate on your mom's story a bit more, you know, give us a little bit more insight into her past and, and why you base it off of her? Well, my mom is my inspiration. Uh, just turning back the clock uh, about 40 plus years in 1975 in the heart of New York City's Chinatown, my mother, Po Ling, was widowed at the age of 32 and left with four of us to raise on a social worker's salary. And instead of giving up, instead, she persevered for her own purpose and focused on devoting her life to the community, really helping everyone from young children to senior citizens. And fast forward four and a half, actually, you know, five decades almost now, she's really one of the most successful people that I know because she's been so incredible at propelling herself as well as others to success. She's been brought back to China and awarded by the government there for her impact on overseas Chinese. May 24th, 2017 was named Poling Ing Day for the Great Borough of Manhattan. She's literally gotten well over 100 awards for the impact that she's had, and she's done all of this for the community while being a single mother of four children. I couldn't even imagine what she went through at that time. But I want to shift gears a bit and go to Inspiring Diversity. And maybe let's discuss how it became a family thing, you know, a family business and how the family is just so involved now. Well, I founded it but it was inspired initially by my family and by my mother. So when I left corporate America, I already had it in my head that I wanted to write a book with my mother to share this amazing framework, as well as our life journeys on how polling power applied to different stages of our lives. So Inspiring Diversity was founded on the fundamental belief that my mother instilled in me that truly anything is possible regardless of your background, as long as we help each other to succeed. And so that was really the foundation, but it's become more, even more of a family enterprise than I originally anticipated because my objective really was, of course, to write the book and to share that as a basis, polling power as the basis for what it means to create more inclusive, collaborative, and high-performing culture. And I was focused primarily on organizations and how adult professionals could apply these principles to not only propel themselves and others to success, but ultimately manage what matters, just like my mother had for her family, for her community, for her organization. And 
what was interesting is that I was going down this very professional organizational path because that, quite frankly, I thought was my bailiwick, right? That that was my strength because I had spent over 20 years in corporate America. As a good mother of two young children, I wanted to share these same principles with my young children who were seven and nine at the time, yeah, because I wanted them to know that these were essential building blocks for them to continue to be aware of as they progressed, as they got older, to be successful and to help others to succeed. So, you know, I, I shared the polling principles with, with my children. And my nine-year-old daughter, my nine-year-old at the time daughter, said to me, Mommy, I really love the polling principles, but honestly, I don't think any kid would want to read your book. And, and honestly, at that moment, I was like, oh, I've just been stabbed in the heart by my own daughter. But, but yes, at least she was honest. And I actually took that as a moment to realize and to say to her, hey, you're right. So what do you think? And she said, I think we should write animal stories based on the polling principles. And so from there, we engaged their cousin, her brother, and uh, you know we have now published uh, two best-selling and also award-winning books, you know, Meet the Persevering Penguins and Pals. So we've got the Persevering Penguins, the Otters for Others, the Leading Lions, Inspiring Iguanas, Networking Nightingales, and the Growing Gerbil, following the polling principles. Um, and then we also have a, you know, a chapter book that tells the full stories and how these diverse animals come together and help each other to succeed. And based on that, we have created an entire children's line of, of uh, solutions, actually, both for adults as well as for, for educators and caregivers. We have what we call our FAST solutions within Inspiring Diversity. So FAST, F for frameworks, A for assessments, S for systems, another S for so storytelling, and T for training. So my children, uh, have really helped to spearhead the fast solutions for mm. educators and for children. I've been focused on the organizational stuff, but we've been working together because these are all based on those same principles that people really should be adapt, you know, really adopting and embracing early on in life and taking those throughout their entire careers and lives. Yeah, I, I love that you you keep it within the family and who's going to be more honest than your kid, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's also a prime example, too, of the importance of diversity with inclusion. Yeah. And you may be like, whoa, what, is, what does that mean, right? But my children have such different perspectives from me, yet they bring so much to the table. I would not have thought of that brilliant idea on my own. And so it's important to, to, to recognize diverse perspectives. And instead of shooing them away, because at that moment, I could have just said, thank you for insulting me, Maria. Let's move on. But instead, being inclusive and saying, hey, so where do you want to go with this? What do you think would make sense? 
And hearing her ideas, including those, and actually executing upon those, I think is really the essence of what diversity with inclusion is about. I think the whole concept of the children's books are amazing. It's so important to instill confidence and empower kids at a much younger age, now more than ever. Young adults are being thrown into very real situations and very unfortunate situations. And how amazing it is if we can prepare them, if you can prepare them, if the world can prepare them for the not so nice part of it that exists. Yeah. So uh, actually, it, that's that's quite a nice segue into another initiative that I have really been focused on, which is the other company that I mentioned, TIQ, which is spelled T-A-I-Q, and that stands for the Think, Act, Interact Quotient. And so my partners and I have primarily, we focus on creating an organizational assessment uh, and an individual assessment for professionals in terms of how do they think, act, and interact with respect to inclusion. And so what we have started to do with our intern, our college intern, is we have started to adapt our assessment to the college level. And ultimately, from there, we're going to adapt down to high school, and then middle school, and down, um, so that that people at all life stages can learn to think, act, and interact more inclusively. Why is diversity so important for companies today? Well, why is diversity important for companies today? Well, there is a clear business case for diversity with inclusion. And mind you, diversity without inclusion is just a mess. When you think about the cacophony of voices that do not feel included, that's just a mess. And when we talk about the business case for diversity with inclusion, companies in the top quartile for racial and ethnic diversity are 35% more likely to have financial returns above their respective national industry means. And companies in the top quartile for gender diversity are 15% more likely to have financial returns above their respective national industry means. So there is a clear business case for diversity with inclusion. And especially, quite frankly, in environments such as the environment that we're in now, with the pandemic and COVID-19. We are facing unprecedented times and we need innovative solutions and approaches. And to drive that innovation and to drive, you know, to get those different perspectives and ideas on the table, you need a diversity of thought, which oftentimes comes from that diversity of background. I feel like a lot of companies are scrambling right now. Diversity has been thrown on the forefront with the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, just to name a few. While none of this was new, it's now being recorded and you just, you can't avoid it. The Black Lives Matter movement has more steam in it now than ever before. And they are calling for change in the government, the media, schools, fashion. Sometimes I feel or it may look like uh, companies are just trying to check their box and just get it done. And they, you know, they don't know how to handle it. And as a woman of color, 
I'm concerned, you know, how do you discern? How do you know? How do you, how can you tell what's, what's being genuine? How do you, how do you know if someone's just trying to get it done or if they're just celebrating it? As a woman of color, I'm concerned. I don't want the bare minimum. I don't want it to be done because it's trending. More than anything, it's, it's about celebrating and accountability and equality. Why do you think companies are so reactive to diversity as opposed to being proactive? And how, how do we get them to be proactive? Yeah, I guess just to backtrack a little bit, it's, it is really very sad that despite the business case for diversity with inclusion, we have seen very little tangible progress with respect to diversity with inclusion, particularly in the senior ranks of corporate America. Um, and you ask, like, why, why are companies not more proactive with respect to diversity with inclusion even though they know that there's a strong business case for it. Well, quite frankly, change is hard and it takes true commitment with respect to time, money, and resources to drive cultural change. And also, I really believe that that change needs to be driven, not just from the mind, it can't just be rational, although there is a rational reason for it, but change must be driven from the heart to drive that true commitment because it is a long journey. It is a journey. It is not something that you could just truly just tick the box for if you want to drive real change. And, you know, for, for people in those positions of power to drive that true commitment, you know, each and every, actually, each and every one of us needs to be part of that change. What is culture? Culture is the sum of the individuals at the end of the day, right? And we need that commitment from the heart because people really need to understand and empathize with how does diversity with inclusion relate to me? How can it benefit me and those around me? And you know, you really need to make sure that people fully embrace that in order to drive that real change. And quite frankly, that's one of the reasons why I named my company Inspiring Diversity. And I've built an archive of over 450 videos of people of different backgrounds sharing their stories. You know, and I, you know, wrote wrote a few books based focused on storytelling because story and I do my training using a storytelling approach because that is really how you get to the heart of the matter and not just telling people, oh, you know, rationally that diversity with inclusion makes sense. We talk about George Floyd. Really, why is this time so different from the past? Blacks have experienced this day in, day out, well before that video of George Floyd was released. But I tell you, yeah. Yeah, but, but the recording itself, I believe, is truly powerful because in those nine minutes that you watch his life literally being sucked out of him, that 
kills you, that hits you in the heart, and you feel that injustice, right? Whereas if you were just to read about it in the paper or someone just tells you about it, say, oh, you know, um, a black man was, uh, you know, killed by policemen, okay, then that kind of goes over people's heads. But when you see that video, you cannot help but feel like, I've got to do something about it. This is wrong. And that's why commitment from the heart is so important. Because you can read about the same thing so rationally you understand it, but if you don't get it from the heart, you are not going to be driven to change, true change. What are your thoughts on discrimination within POC groups? At my company, we talked about the model immigrant, the model person of color, and the prejudice that exists within that. Personally, I know within the brown community, there's a lot of colorism. There are a lot of difficult conversations that need to be had within our families, our communities. And, you know, for such a long time, there's been a separation with church and state. And I don't really think there's room for that anymore. I think that time is done. I think we're definitely in an era where it's not okay to stay silent. It's not okay to not do anything. It's not okay to not see color. And it's not okay to just talk about the weather anymore. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. There, there, there is a lot to unpack from what you just said. But, you know, just kind of dialing back in terms of bias, right? Let's think about bias. What is bias the result of? Bias is the result of limited access and exposure. And when we talk about exposure, exposure, a lot of exposure is your upbringing, your family, right? Those values, those experiences that you had growing up. And so if your family, you know, had, you know, a certain view of other races, you know, that's likely to have impacted your view, right? And so it is, yeah. And so, and you take it to the job, right? And so, and that's why, you know, I, with Inspiring Diversity, I just feel so passionate about really starting young, right? And, and embedding all of this. And in terms of, you know, people of color being allies to each other, it is so important that we all stand together. And quite frankly, it's, it's people of color, but it's really all people, right? regardless of your background. And, and that's, that's really the basis for which Inspiring Diversity was founded because quite frankly, many people said to me, Betty, instead of having something so broad in terms of allyship amongst everyone, why don't you just focus on the Asian community? And I said to them, honestly, that's not my vision because I truly believe that you know, even for the Asian community, if we are to succeed, we need allies of all backgrounds, regardless of background. And it is very sad that oftentimes there does seem to be a division within the people of color community. You mentioned the model minority. And, you know, quite frankly, you know, with respect to Asians, and quite frankly, unfortunately, Asians you know, are sometimes left out of the people of color discussions and initiatives. And quite frankly, the promotion of this model minority stereotype often drives a wedge between Asians and other peoples of color. And frankly, you know, Asians 
are also very much afflicted when it comes to diversity with inclusion, particularly in the leadership ranks. We are very underrepresented compared to the you know, total percentage of the workforce population that we consist of, you know. So at the leadership ranks, we are very underrepresented. And at the end of the day, we must all stand together against racial inequities, and we, not, we need to stand with our black, Latino, and other brothers and sisters of color. And it's funny because when I have spoken with some different Asian organizations about TIQ, about the Think, Act, Interact Quotient for Inclusive Behavior, sometimes the reaction that I get is, how is this gonna help us? You know, because we're the ones who are being excluded. It's not about us, you know, including other people. It's about, you know, us being included. But my strong belief is that if you want to be included, you yourself need to be inclusive. I think it's important now more than ever to look at ourselves, to look at our friends and our neighbors and try to understand the biases that we have the small jokes, the comments that might go unchecked, that are not addressed, that are probably just swept under the rug. And I think it's important to understand those smaller things so they don't snowball into larger things. Yeah, and I think that part of all of this is creating that safe environment for us all, right? And I think that we should all recognize that we have our biases, regardless of who we are and how enlightened we believe we are. Um, and for us to give each other some grace, right? And, and say, hey, and also for ourselves to be upfront and say, hey, I, I know I'm not perfect. And, you know, I may have certain beliefs based on, you know, the access and exposure that I, I've had, but I'm here to be better. I really do hope for a world where everyone, if not most people, took accountability for their actions. And addressing these things earlier with children gives me hope that by the time they are young adults, they wouldn't really have to address anything because the world would just be a better place with no biases and no racism and no discrimination. But a girl can dream, right? That that would be great. That would be great. Um, but we do have a long journey. <laughs> so I feel like someone who takes this assessment is ready to be uncomfortable. And whether we want to admit it or not, we as humans do not like to be uncomfortable. So we choose ignorance. And ignorance is bliss. And... What I think is great about this assessment is that you provide a safe space to let people tell the truth. Yeah, so what we do, so there's a Thai cube assessment. It's a 15 minute assessment. Um, goes by really quick, actually. On average, it takes people less than 15 minutes to, to take. And again, it, it really focus on, focuses on how people think, act, and interact along eight key behavioral dimensions that define inclusivity. And it's funny because most of us, we think we're very inclusive, right? But 
First of all, a lot of people don't even really fully appreciate what that means. And so with Thai Q, we've broken it down into eight key behaviors. And, and the results of the Thai Q shows you your think scores, your act scores, and your interact scores. The assessment itself is actually a very reflective process. And uh, in fact, the feedback that we've gotten so far is that even the process of taking the assessment has helped people to self-reflect more and be more aware of their own thoughts, acts, and interactions. And so, so the assessment itself pumps out this heat map to show you red, yellow, green, your areas of strength and you know, as well as areas of development. And after you take the assessment, there is an opportunity to get recommendations for what you can be more mindful of and what you can do. We have a program to provide tips to actionable tips that people can receive regularly. And we have workshops as well for, for people to dive deeper into how they can action a lot of these behaviors. Um, in, in terms of being more inclusive. And also note that this is a confidential assessment. And so there's no benefit to be gained by gaming it with any assessment. You could probably game it. But the point of this assessment is really for people to self-reflect on their true behaviors. And, um, you know, and so unless you are in that mindset of being truthful, um, you know, it, it won't help you. But if you, you know, so if you are in that mindset of being truthful, you will definitely uncover things that you could do better and how you yourself can play a more active role in building that more inclusive, collaborative, and high-performing culture around you. So who do you have taking these assessments right now? Are these like corporate clients or schools? Yeah, so we have been running um, our organizational pilots, and so far they've been going really well. We've gotten, you know, some great feedback, even from a head of HR, who at first, when he took this assessment, was thinking, ah, oh, you know, this is just for the kids, the, uh, the other employees, not really for me. And when he got his results back, he was floored. He said to me, he was humbled. He was humbled by how much he has to improve, that it gave him insight into, you know, behaviors that he probably was kind of aware of, but seeing it on paper, that's a different story. To see, for example, like how, how you think versus how you act and interact, because oftentimes the, how you think doesn't manifest into how you act and interact. So we've had organizations take it, and now we've also rolled out um, to individuals. We've provided a, we've, we've created a free version of the individual assessment that, that you know, if you just go onto our LinkedIn, our ThaiQ LinkedIn page, you can just click on the link and you can take the assessment and we'll give you, we'll, we'll, we'll issue you your personalized and confidential uh, short form report with heat maps. So you can see those, your areas of strength and weakness. So we're, we're tackling it on both fronts with organizations as well as uh, 
directly to individuals. I love that it's confidential because there's a lot of shame when it comes to things like these, especially when it comes to handling microaggressions. Sometimes as the person who may have said or done something offensive, you don't want to deal with, or you just don't know how to handle the situation moving forward. But if you're willing to listen and learn, I think great things can happen with having a open communication and being able to respond and feeling like you have a safe space for someone to correct you, even with something as simple as, thank you for correcting me. I didn't realize that, or I didn't think of it that way. And now I understand what I did or said was wrong. And I think TIQ is good for starting those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's an assessment tool, which also gives more insight into areas that of development. So, you know, one of the one of the eight characteristics of in, being inclusive is being unbiased, right? And I'm not saying colorblind, but unbiased, right? And so, yeah, and actually many people we have found are uh, not as unbiased as they probably thought they were. And so when we talk about taking it a step further, to the unconscious bias training and so forth, and and kind of highlighting to people, hey, this is really an area that you need to focus on, and so providing, you know, those follow up training opportunities um, to to tackle unconscious bias and and to when you talk about microaggressions, to become even more aware of what do microaggressions look like, because with respect to microaggressions, oftentimes people say things because not because they're trying to be mean necessarily. And sometimes they're actually well-intentioned. Like for example, someone may say to me as an Asian American, wow, your English is really good. Because in their mind, just based on their access and exposure, they weren't used to seeing Asians who could speak English fluently. You know, they thought maybe a lot of Asians would have a heavy accent, a heavy foreign accent, right? So, you know, but it is, in fact, a microaggression for me, right? Like, and so, so it's even having people just be aware, learn what is a microaggression and just be more sensitive. And then, you know, and, and try to avoid those because they really ultimately hurt people. So if there's someone listening right now that is having challenges at their workplace, how can we inspire them? Or do you have any tips that they can use to go about creating change within their organization? Yeah, a lot of it does go back to, well, a few things, right? It's first understanding where you and your organization are in, in terms of the diversity and inclusion journey. You know, where are you and your organization in, in terms of that you know, trajectory, right? And then from there, figuring out, well, what are, what are your goals? Like, what, what are some realistic goals that you can set in terms of making improvements? And, um, and then from there, it's really about making those improvements. That's where the allies come into play, right? And making sure that, you know, it is not just you alone, although you alone is an important start, but it's getting others to 
join you in this journey, right, of making change. And I, I go back to how change has to be driven from the heart. And what I recommend to, yeah, because we talk about Tai Chi, the think, act, and interact quotient. But how do you change thoughts into acts and interactions? And that, that piece is actually taking things, driving change from the heart, right? And so start with the storytelling. Start with relating to people, creating that empathy, right? When you want to, if you want to have more successful people of color, you know, more diverse people at the higher ranks, you got to showcase more people of diverse backgrounds already in the higher ranks because, you know, in order to, you, you know, you, you have to be able to see as a person of diverse background, you have to see someone, a role model that you can truly look up to and believe that it is possible to attain. And by sharing those stories of other successful people of diverse backgrounds, you do a few things. One, you tackle the who looks like me problem. Secondly, you tackle the unconscious bias piece because what you're providing is a lot of what we call disconfirming data, right? So, you know, you see successful people who challenge those unhelpful stereotypes that are propagated in the media that many of us may have, you know, had, you know, limited access and exposure to, and therefore rely on these horrible stereotypes propagated by the media. When in fact, when we showcase examples of successful people of diverse backgrounds, that's how we start to change the conversation. We see people who are successful of diverse backgrounds, and then we have to understand and have people of diverse backgrounds share their stories of challenges, right? And because and that creates the empathy and not only share their challenges, but how did they deal with those challenges? And finally, how would they have hoped an ally or allies would have stepped in to help them to tackle those challenges that they faced. And that will equip allies to know what they can and should do to help build a culture of diversity with inclusion and belonging. How is the organization making changes after the test results? Because the results are confidential, right? Yeah, yeah. So what we do is, you know, from an organizational level, we um, aggregate the data and we slice and dice the data based on different demographics, where we're finding overall trends in terms of, um, you know, key areas of development. So then that can inform um, organizations in terms of what kind of training that they need. But we also, um, as a follow-up to the assessment, offer workshops to all employees who take the assessment. And the results do remain confidential, but going into the training, you know what your own areas of development and weakness are. So, and during that training, we go through those eight key behavioral, behavioral, behavioral attributes. And we talk about practical tips on how to 
improve upon those. So people who are good at those things can share with those who are not so good. But everything's confidential, right? So you don't know what anybody else's scores were along those, those different dimensions. But it's about sharing tips. And nobody is shamed into, oh, yeah, you, you got like a 20% on, be, on uh, interacting openly. So, but it's more like we all learn about how to interact more openly. And so those who are, who do it well can share tips with those who may not do it so well, or people can brainstorm together and there's no element of shame, but it provides something actionable. And from those workshops, there are also accountability partners that can, you know, that can work together to say, hey, you know, you and I are going to pair up. This is something that I want to work on. You know, oh, that's what you want to work on. Okay, so we're going to keep each other accountable. This is what I'm going to commit to doing. Oh, this is what I'll commit to doing. And so they check up on each other and they are accountability partners. And so it's really about embedding it in the day-to-day, not having it just be a static assessment, but rather something that is a starting point for becoming even more inclusive. There's no shame involved, and I'm sure it's still uncomfortable, but having an accountability partner really changes the narrative for all parties involved. And it just takes me back to that idea that if the conversation is uncomfortable, it's likely that you should be having it. So if anyone wants to learn more about you, your work, inspiring diversity, Thai IQ, polling power, where can they go? Yeah, yeah. So um, you can go to inspiringdiversity.com. And also taikyworld.com, and that's spelled T-A-I-Q-W-O-R-L-D.com. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, All of our social media handles are on our website, so definitely feel free to, uh, to check those out. It's no secret that there is so much work to be done when it comes to addressing diversity and inclusion within our companies and our communities and work on racial and ethnic disparities. How do you choose to be a part of this change? I think a big part of it has to do with embracing discomfort. Being quiet is comfortable. Accepting the status quo is also comfortable. I urge you, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Be kind to yourselves, be kind to each other. See you next episode. To those listening at home at the office or on the go, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to listen to the latest episodes of Next. And if you made it to the end, thank you. Make sure you hit the like button before you close us out. And if you have a question, comment, suggestion, or you just want to tell us how much you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at nextpodcast at transperfect.com.